0: Welcome to the Browns Wire podcast. This is your host Josh Keatley. I am back from a two-week vacation. With me is Adam Moore, the gambling slash fantasy football expert. Uh, Adam's been killing it while I've been out. I've been trying to place some bets, and I've been not doing as well. But Adam's been doing much better. But we'll get to the best bets and the college bowl games later. Uh, we're both very excited to be placing some losing some cash this holiday season on the college games. But uh, first things first, let's talk about the disappointing Browns loss. The Browns lost twenty-four to thirty-eight. Against the Cardinals, the Cardinals now have four wins on the season. They're four nine and one compared to the Browns, now disappointing six and eight. And you know what the most surprising part about this game is, Adam? What's that? They're not they're not eliminated from the playoffs. The Browns still I have know. the <laughs> slimmest amount of uh, the slimmest hope to still make it. And I think that's just so wild.
1: Football outsiders gives them one point one percent chance to make a wild card.
0: But Dude, not, is- not yet officially eliminated. That is wild to me. That is absolutely insane. Uh, you know, maybe they could pull it out. You know, people forget. I know that the, it's crazy because I, I know that the spread with the Ravens game. Well, we'll, we'll get to that later. We'll, we'll get to the later. We'll get to the Ravens game later. Let's talk about the disappointing uh, Cardinals loss. Now, the offense—it it felt like it sputtered. But I feel like we had this conversation uh, every week where we ha- we had this this point of frustration about this Browns offense, but there were some bright spots. I think that they found a good groove uh, with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt actually got more snaps than Nick Chubb last week, but uh, Hunt was more relegated to the receiving role with eight receptions and only four carries, and Chubb still got his – hit plenty of work with 17 carries and three receptions. I feel like that's a good groove. You still got Chubb eclipsing the 100-yard mark. Cream uh, Hunt's his – his impact has been felt uh you know it seems like he's a very passionate uh I, I guess i'll classify him as a leader at this point with what he was saying after the game about people not trying very hard so i think that is something positive to take away from that game
1: yeah no you got you, you got it there uh, it, it's very obvious that with the, you know with the browns that they're really trying to run their offense for guys at this point you mentioned Chubb had 20 touches stream hunt had 12 touches nine targets. OBJ had thirteen targets and Landry had eight targets. So that that's a good chunk of of the offensive production, or at least the off- offensive uh target share when you when you're looking at who who they really want to get the ball to. It's just right now the only guy that really stands out to an offensive picture of it, as you alluded to. 127 yards and a touchdown. It seems just like week after week after week he shows up in a big way. I think I think he's the AFC's leading rusher at this point, isn't he?
0: Yes, I believe he's the NFL leading rusher. I think it he's is, uh, out. He he's he's got more yards than Derrick Henry by seventy-five or seventy-nine or so, and then who who Derrick Henry has more yards than uh, Christian McCaffrey. So I, be, yes. I, I believe that that's what he's got going on. Um, you know, I, I will talk about the defense a little bit more, but I, or a little bit here later. But I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into this offense. Uh, you know, another person's been kind of steady, Eddie. Eddie is Jarvis Landry. We don't really talk about him because we've been so disappointed in the passing game. Uh, but I think there are layers there. I, but I do think that Jarvis Landry deserves credit where it's due uh i kind of feel bad obviously there was a point in the game where he looked very frustrated uh looked like he kind of got heated with him and uh Freddie kitchens on the sidelines and people kind of pounce on that opportunity to talk about how you know jarvis Landry is a quote-unquote cancer now all this all of a sudden you know the walter pate man of the year finalist is all of a sudden a, a team cancer uh you know and they're talking about him him yelling come get me which i i feel like now with all these reports coming back that the, even the term come get me is getting kind of blurry there, but I, I do want to give Landry credit where, where it is, where it is due.
1: Yeah, no, we've talked about him on this podcast for the past you know month and a half about how he's really been the focal point point on the, you know, through the air for Baker Mayfield, this Brown's offense. And, and with his OBJ who's kind of really been relegated to that second role, that second wide receiver and, and kind of been left behind. Landry's carried this offense at points. And I certainly – when I think of Jarvis Landry, I certainly don't think of, of a locker room cancer. It's certainly not a guy that you wouldn't want to keep in that locker room. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you. You know, looking forward, uh, you know, I, like you said, 1.1% making the playoffs. You know, we really got to start to look forward with this team. I think Chubb and Landry are who you really want to build around you know, long term.
0: Absolutely. And you, back to the OBJ point, uh, you know, I don't I – don't I, I know that he's kind of – you said it, the, the man left behind. I don't think it's any lack of effort. If anything, I feel like he's been kind of the reason – OBJ is great. I think that OBJ is still one of the best if not the best most talented wide receiver in the NFL. But I do think that there are at times the offense has tried to force in him the ball, it's tried to force him the ball and I think that he is more effective when it comes more naturally. We see him be more effective later in the game. I mean, I know there was a certain point in the first quarter where he had 5 targets on only one catch and a drop. That just yeah, seemed, it seems it seems like drop. Yeah, and and the offense wasn't moving and I don't lane than on obj i don't expect him to catch every single ball i'm not i'm never going to be a guy that harps on a guy for for dropping the ball once every five games that's not that's not going to be something that i do but five targets that early on in a game where we were not we were kind of struggling to move the ball it, it seemed a little silly uh you know in obviously that wouldn't be the only thing that kitchens messed up we, we all know we all saw the the third and two, the shuffle pass on third and two which was just completely ill-advised um but there are there are def- definitely layers and definitely issues there. I think that they're still trying to work out the OBJ kinks. I do think that they got uh, they are getting there. Uh, it's the same way with Baker Mayfield. You know, Baker Mayfield. Every time he if he rushes the pass, if his feet aren't set properly, uh, his mechanics go down the toilet fast, and he throws the ball high. And when he throws the ball high. No one has a shot to get it. We, we kind of saw that with the first quarter interception to Patrick Peterson, where he basically just kind of threw it up. It, it, it went too high. Uh, and Patrick right. Peterson took advantage of that. And I think that as the, day, the game goes on, you know, he calms down, he looks more effective. And that's kind of been, you know, the script for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I really, I don't have a strong opinion on OBJ at this point. You know, he, he struggled his last two years with, in New York and, I think the argument could be made at that point that it's really Eli Manning, but you know now you're starting to kind of see these struggles. In my opinion, bleed into Cleveland, and I, you know you got to ask yourself, you know, what's the common denominator here? Is you know OBJ had that had that kind of freak leg injury a couple of years back, uh, where he got he went up for a slant route, jumped up, kind of, kind of came down, he landed on, think he broke his ankle. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that that he hasn't returned fully from that, and he still doesn't have the same athleticism, but something just feels off with me with him. Uh, so I, I don't know what it is. He's had like one or two pretty good games, but he's definitely not been the dominant receiver that that we saw early in his career in New York.
0: Yeah, I, I, again, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't think it's an issue physically. I think that the physical talent is still there. I think he's just as fast as he was. I think he's just as powerful as he was. I think he's just as talented as he was. I think that he's just he's struggling to find his flow and his rhythm within the offense. Uh, hopefully that is something that comes with time. The receiving court as a whole has been really kind of just a complete mess that the coaching staff has butchered from the very get-go. We saw again Rashard Higgins had zero offensive snaps, only had one special team snap, which is completely alarming. It looks like Daryl Hodge is the new number three in this offense, and he's not good. He's he's just not good. So that's utterly shocking to me. Now we're seeing another former, another high round draft pick who was very productive in the red zone last year, and David Njoku. David who was a healthy scratch. And you put who in there? Demetrius Harris, who is he's gotta be one of the tops in the NFL and drops based off of the percentage of targets he sees. I mean, that guy is doesn't do anything. I mean, he's so bad that Ricky Seals Jones, was hot who was signed, you know, a quarter way through the season. Was kind of the high, he's now the new tight end, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, it certainly looks that way. And the the Injoku uh, healthy scratch was just as puzzling to me as as the Higgins staff share here in these past this past month or so. It just doesn't make any sense. I heard reports out of out of Cleveland that there he was running wrong routes in practice. Maybe we we'll just wasn't giving a hundred percent effort in practice, and uh, you know maybe, maybe Kitchens was just trying to you know make an example out of him and say you know that type of stuff's not going to work here. You know you're going to have to we have to come, you know, ready to play every single day, day in, day out, in practice, in a game. Uh, so I you know, I really don't know what to make of it. It just seems like it's a complete mess in Cleveland right now.
0: Yeah. And that that, that would be a pretty long example, too, to, to sit him out, you know, 10 weeks or whatever it's been. Um, you know, let, let's go ahead and move on to the defense. The defense, in my eyes, was probably the most disappointing part. Uh, you let Kyler Murray in this, you know, very youthful and, Kind of unorganized Cardinals offense score 38 points on you. I think Conor Murray had his longest run of the season against the Cleveland Browns. It was it wasn't a super long run, but I mean it was 20 yards and he juiced a couple defenders out of their shoes. Uh, now I will say, uh, I'm not blaming Steve Wilkes. I think that this defense has been completely decimated. Obviously, we talked about Garrett being out. Sheldon Richardson is now out. Uh, Olivier Vernon is out. There's, <laughs> those are, you know, those are the three biggest studs on the defense. Now you got guys like Brian Cox, who didn't have a job six months ago, and Porter Gustin, who, you know, hasn't, this is literally his first NFL roster that he's made. Uh, that are playing meaningful snaps. Sheldrick Redwine is playing meaningful snaps in the defensive backfield, and that's a guy that we all laughed about. When they drafted him, like it was a bad decision. He's playing meaningful snaps. Mac Wilson, I, I know he was the highest graded defender for the Browns via PFF. Uh, he was actually graded in the 90s, and that's great, but you don't want Mac Wilson to be your best. You don't want a rookie middle linebacker who fell to the fifth round because they're lost all the time. To be your best defender, and that's 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 alarming to me. And they look rough. they just look rough.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you know the first part of your, uh, your st- or first part of your your argument there is what really stands out to me, or is the biggest point in all of this with the with the injuries and suspensions on the front on the defensive line. There, you know, you're going against Kyler Murray, who's a first year guy who can escape the pocket, and with those rookie quarterbacks, I think to me, you really want to put pressure on those guys. Yeah, force them into in the quick decision and the bad decision, make them make mistakes. Uh, but they didn't do that. You didn't have a, they had a one single sack recorded in the game. You just weren't able to get any kind of consistent pressure on him. And he just he just looked super comfortable to me. And, and he only you know, he was he only he only had six incompletions. He didn't he didn't torch you. He only had two hundred nineteen yards, one touchdown, one pick. But, you know, for the most part, he was able to do what he wanted. You mentioned he, he was able to stay at the pocket. and He had 56 yards rushing, which certainly hurts. Uh, you know, especially well, and, when you're looking at trying to get off the field as
0: a you know, defensive perspective. Yeah, and but he didn't need. That's the thing, though. So you you said that he didn't torch us, but he kind of did because he wasn't the offense. Uh, Kenyon Drake was the offense, right? If they didn't have Kenny, Kyler Murray played a, a, effective enough to where I think if Kenyon Drake wasn't just doing whatever he wanted. Then Kyler Murray would have exploded. You know what I mean? He didn't seem to, other than other than that interception, there really wasn't much of a slip up on his end. Uh, but Kenyon Drake, I mean, dude, and we go back to the defensive line part. Uh, I think that the defensive line is not only ineffective against the pass ru- or as a pass rushing unit, but they're also really struggling to. You know, bust up the run. Uh, Kenyon Drake, I know he rushed, for. he looked really good. I'm not taking anything against him. But man, I don't remember him breaking or, rush or pounding through a, a whole lot of tackles on this first and second levels. You know what I mean? He he ran yeah. over, he kind of did his thing on the third level, but man, he really didn't have a whole lot of yards against, you know, after contact in that game. Everything just kind of busted right open for him because, again, that defensive line is just so decimated.
1: Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. I saw something on Twitter earlier this week where they were talking about how. Uh, Cleveland's defensive line is just has, has really bad gap discipline right now, and they're just—they're getting, they're getting moved off, moved off the point. So, you know, as a defensive lineman, you want to stand up your that offensive line and really keep him there because you know, let those linebackers kind of run up, fill holes, and, and make those plays. So, you're seeing a lot of your defensive line getting moved off the point not be able to, to stabilize that front line uh, so your linebackers come up and make plays. So you're, that makes a lot of sense to me. So you're getting defensive linemen out of position. There's a big hole, and you know they're getting five, six, seven yards before they get in contact.
0: Yeah, it's rough. And again, I'm trying not to blame Wilkes. I really expected Wilkes to do it. I, I guess I have to criticize him, right? You let a rookie quarterback get 38 points on you. So I'm, I'm trying not to let him go unscathed. Uh, but I guess my biggest issue is kind of what you you pointed out a little bit earlier is that they failed. He fails to. This is not the first time where we've gone up against a young quarterback and he refuses to blitz. I, it feels like very similar to what Shiano did last year when Nick Bosa went down. I feel like Garrett and Olivier are out, uh, and now he's, he looks as refusing to adjust the game plan. He's refusing to blitz. Dude, we can't get a pass rush from Brian Cox and put Porter Gustin. That's not going to happen. When Larry Ogajobi is your most effective pass rusher, you need to create that pass rush. You need to do, you know, blitz. You need to do that. You need to bring the heat. And he just yeah. seems, it seems like he's refusing to do that. And this is not the first game where I feel like that's been evident.
1: Yeah, no, and I, I you know, one, one other interesting stat. Uh, you know, as you're talking about Steve Wilkes, I, I don't know that there's anything to glean from this stat other, other than it just being interesting that you know, Steve Wilks you know, was the head coach in Arizona and uh, you know, is familiar with the NFC West, and now Cleveland is 0-4 against those four teams this year. So I, I don't know if there's anything to, to make of that stat other than it's just pretty interesting.
0: Uh, you know, he, he was the head coach there for one season. I don't really think he was given a fair shot from Arizona. To be quite honest with you, I think Arizona made a mistake firing him in the first place. Uh, I'm go- I'm going to defend him. He hasn't done enough to mess up in my eyes for me to sit here and act like he's a bad coach. I think that he is he is a good defensive coordinator. I think he's been given a pretty rough hand. You know, you're handed the keys to a Ferrari. That Ferrari's a lemon dude. I mean, everybody's yeah, gone. Everybody, I, you know, you can tell me he's on four against the, the NFC West. Uh, and that, that isn't, a, that is bad. I, you know, that those are, should be teams that he's familiar with, but at the same time, he doesn't have, he doesn't, what is he doing with it? You know what I mean? Like he doesn't, what do you, what do you want him to do? I guess is my question. Can you, do you envision someone doing a better job than what he's currently doing with Mac Wilson, Porter Gustin and Brian Cox, Sheldrick Redwine. I mean, those are literally some of your starters on that defensive front. And is, I mean, is that fair?
1: No, I mean, I think I think it's fair uh, with with the injuries and the suspensions that, that Cleveland's dealing with right now. Uh, earlier in the year, maybe you could can be a little bit tougher on him, but yeah, I think right now, um, looking forward, if, if we're looking forward into April or spring of this, like this of twenty twenty, you know, how how do you shore up the front seven on defense and, and provide a little bit more depth so we you're not you not having these issues when you do face uh, you know some injury issues, which inevitably is going to happen every single year.
0: Well, even and even the back end, like I said, Shredrick, Sheldrick Redwine is playing meaningful minutes. Demarius Randall has pretty much been an ins, ins, insignificant player at this point, uh, due to "quote unquote" injuries and all that. Denville Ward feels like he's hurt pretty much every other game now. Um, you know, there, it, it, every this all three levels. We talked about cluster injuries a couple weeks ago. Last time we were on the show uh being a pretty good handicapping stance dude there's cluster injuries at all three levels for the cleveland browns maybe not so much a linebacker joe show and uh, mac wilson kind of been consistent there but even christian kirksey was viewed as kind of be a more of a consistent part of these linebacker unit and he you know he went down we viewed that as kind of insignificant early on because we knew that the browns were trying to move on from him because he's because he's aging and injury riddled and all that but now that you know it, it, that's kind of you know the straw that broke the camel's back a little bit at this point right every little bit counts when you're losing everybody so but I, again I guess that's my question what do you do you view this coaching staff uh, you've heard the rumors I've heard the rumors I mean yeah. what do you do do you do you fire do you fire kitchens and Wilks and move on or what is your thought process
1: Yeah I know we talked about this a little bit before and I guess you know four weeks ago my thought process was is Freddie Kitchens is starting to get control of this team. He's getting his feet un- underneath of him. You know, we, we talked about how he didn't have any experience in the past doing any any sort of head coaching duties. Uh, so that was a big, probably a huge learning curve for him. Uh, but I'm starting to change tune a little bit on that. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, to me, I don't think Freddie Kitchens is the answer. And I think most people would agree with that. If he's not the answer, I think you fire him and you try to find somebody right away. Uh, otherwise, I think you're just kind of prolonging the inevitable, and you're you're kind of wasting the you know the talent that you have now. And this the, we talked about. This roster is probably a top ten roster when healthy, and you need you need to be able to bring somebody in with some more experience that will be able to kind of utilize and get the most out of that roster.
0: And I I feel like that's a fair point. I think that's what makes this such a an I think this makes it such a hot topic is that it's a very polarizing issue. I think that everything you're saying is right, but there are, I feel like there are layers. You know, like you said, there is a window. OBJ is a very sensitive guy. We know that. He's only going to be able to sit on a crappy team for so long before he gets frustrated and moves moves on. Baker Mayfield, you know, a quarterback, a quarterback can only withstand so much BS before they start to crack under the pressure and destroy their confidence. And then you got to move on. Nick Chubb is only going to be able to take. 25 carries a game for so long. You're not going to be able to afford Hunt and Chubb for so long. The list goes on and on about all these, this, this window that you have having this talented roster. With that said, they hired Freddie Kitchens knowing that he had no experience, right? I do believe, you know, uh, I, I do believe that the, the thought process behind Todd Monkin and uh, uh, Wilkes and Jeff, our editor, Jeff Frisden kind of brought this up earlier in the week. It was to try to surround Freddie with some head coaching experience and try to guide him in the right direction. I do think that the Baker likes Freddie Kitchens. I do think that there is a good relationship there. Now, I'm not in the locker room. If that relationship has just deteriorated, if all the players hate him and they don't want to play for him anymore, then, yeah, move on. But let's assume that everything in that locker room is at least neutral. Well, then I don't think it's fair to fire him after one year. Because you knew you can't expect a guy to just go to the Super Bowl in his first year. I think that that's unreasonable. But everything you're saying, I completely get, and a lot of people in Cleveland would agree with you.
1: Yeah, no, and I think they would agree with me because the expectations were so high this offseason. And there's there's got to be, you know, as a Bengals fan, I'm disappointed in being one and 13. But I'm sure Cleveland fans are more disappointed right now than I am with, uh, the, state of, with the state of the state uh, of you know your respective franchises. So. You know, expectations were really high. I can understand where the frustration is coming from, and and I can look, I can step back and look at it at, from an unbiased perspective. And to me, I just don't. I, the, what I look at, it, I don't think Freddie's the answer. And if he's not the answer, you might as well move on because you just waste time if you don't. And, and I don't think he's the answer because he just doesn't seem to have a real good handle on game planning or really anything. You know, this is I got I got some interesting stats here. This is from Warren Sharp, sharpfootballstats.com. dot com. So. Arizona's defense was notoriously bad against uh, big personnel groupings, or has been this year. And in the first three quarters of Sunday's game, the Browns were in 11 personnel 50% of the time. So of the 50% of the time that they were were in 11 personnel, they averaged 3.3 yards per attempt, 27% success rate, and and a quarterback rating of 15.7. The 50% of the time when they were non-11 personnel, 7.7 yards per attempt, 73% 73% success rate, 129, or 129 passer rate. That's just, that's just through the air. On the ground, when the Browns were in 11 personnel, they had a 33% success rate and uh, 6.5 yards per carry. But that, there's one large, uh, one long run in that data set that's really skewed that number up. When you look at non-11 personnel uh, on the ground, the Browns were 64% success rate, 6.9 yards per carry. Uh, so, you know, and, and the Browns have been terrible in 11 personnel all year and great in non-11 personnel. And this is looking at, again, the entire year. When the Browns were at 11 personnel, they're averaging 6.8 yards per attempt, 39% success rate, 69 passer rating. In non-11 personnel, they're averaging 6, 8.6 yards per attempt, 55% success rate, and 115% passer rating. However, you know, look just – with those stats, you would expect the Browns and Freddie Kitchens to be out of 11 personnel, running running bigger personnels, but they've used 11 personnel 84% of the time this year, uh, or at least in their first nine, in the weeks one through nine, they were 84% 11 personnel. They went two and six. They With Kareem Hunt back, they had to get out of 11 personnel because they wanted to get both Hunt and Chubb on the field, and when they reduced the 11 personnel uh, percentage, they, they've won four out of five, four out of six now. So, you know, to me, that's just, it's just bad coaching. You've got to be able to recognize uh, those types of things. I don't know what the analytics department is like in Cleveland, but, you know, that, that, that to me is talent.
0: No, and I, I get what you're saying, and I saw, I saw those stats too, and I feel like that's a fair point. Now, I, I do think that, okay, you covered all, you covered all the stats there, and, and, and all of that makes sense, and obviously all of that was right, okay? But remember, you have OBJ, you have Jarvis Landry. Okay. And then your tight ends are Demetrius Harris and Ricky Seals Jones. Okay. So now you're asking me, you're telling you're, you're giving me a spreadsheet full of all these numbers where the Cardinals have played, you know, teams like the Niners with George Kittle, right? Or teams like the Seahawks who constantly run with two tight ends. Um, you know, or you know, t- a team like the Rams with Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee, right? That's kind of what you're looking at. And you say, Hey, these teams don't do well. You do you the Cardinals don't do well when they're playing, you know. Twenty-two personnel or twelve personnel or whatever you know, big personnel, right? Well, I have OBJ and Jarvis Landry. You know, does that make, does that make sense? What yeah, I have, I, I don't. It, it, it's that the Browns have enough talent to where I am not saying they should be able to ignore analytics. You should never ignore analytics, okay? And obviously, the statistics have proven that they did mess up this game plan. They did, it, they did. But can't you kind of see? What the thought process was? I mean, they did, and you could see when OBJ got those five early targets right off the bat that they thought that okay, this is what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. And they, and honestly, if you look at it, I mean, on, on paper, if I told you six months ago that you had OBJ and Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, and Cream Hunt, and your tight ends were Demetrius Harris and Ricky Seals Jones, wouldn't you say, dude, set them out wide, let them light them up, right? Wouldn't that kind of be your thought process?
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from, and I can definitely understand the logic for, in the beginning of the year, coming out in those personnel groupings. But I think, you know, as the data starts to roll in on how those are performing, I think you've got to make changes. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I can see, I can see it early in the year, um, but later in the year, I think it becomes a little bit more inexcusable.
0: Not I like think, I think maybe the big underlying issue is that, it's, I, I if he goes in with a game plan and that game plan doesn't work out, you need to move on right if you have a if you have a 20 place script and you've gone three and out twice, okay throw it away throw away the script let's move on let's figure out what's going on okay yeah. maybe have that in your plan B okay we know that the cardinals suck against this right so let's put away you know the lightsaber the speed guys and let's try to get you know let's go with the big personnel despite our big personnel being consisting of Demetrius Harris and Ricky Seals Jones. Right? Does that make sense? Uh, and I, I yeah, like Odell's Jones, by the way. I'm just saying that was a guy that we picked up off the street. Let's be realistic. I think yeah. he's a very solid tight end. I think he's earned some cash to stick around next year. But let's be realistic. He's a guy that they picked up off the off the street. Demetrius Harris blows. Demetrius Harris is not good. He's not. He's not. He averages probably. I mean, I would love to see his drop numbers.
1: Yeah. Well, and you can argue in big personnel that you're not going to be. You're not asking those tight ends to come in and like the. Uh, you know, light it up with the receiver no. numbers. You ask him to come in. You know, be a good blocker. You know, maybe maybe you leave one or two in on pass protection. Sometimes you give Baker the time he needs to set his feet and make an accurate throw. You, you pound the ball. You play action, and, and you, you 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 build your offense around around Chubb, Landry, and OBJ. And
0: you're you're 100 correct. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate and look at it the way Freddie's look at it. Right? He's yeah, you're. Right, I, I think that the, the, the foundation of being a good coach is putting the 11 best guys on the field. And when you when you ask them to go big, they're big personnel. You're not doing that. You're limiting what they can do, right? Now, that's wrong. Obviously, it's wrong because they lost and they got swiped. And, they're, you know, it's been like that all the season long. But, I mean, you could see, I think, I don't, I'm not, I don't think that that's a reason. His adjustments are, are failures, but I don't think that. It tell those statistics tell the whole story. That's all I'm saying. Does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah, I get it. And, and you're right. You know there there is nuances or and layers to all all data. So yeah, know I, I think I think you're right there as well. I
0: mean, because that, that that and that's what you're comparing to too. I'm not looking at the, you. Cardinals playing the NFC West. Okay, well every team in the NFC West. Plays with two tight ends pretty consistently, or they have two competent tight ends, or maybe the best tight end in the league, and George Kittle. Right, the only one that doesn't is the Seahawks, and they run the ball more than any other team in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's kind of a weird. I know that that's going to skew those numbers just ever so slightly. Uh, but anyways, moving on, they got the Baltimore Ravens this week. The Baltimore Ravens are twelve and two. They've already locked up their playoff position. They are eight five and one against the spread. They're playing. They are going. Back they're going to Cleveland. Cleveland is currently six and eight, five eight and one against the spread. We know how disappointing they've been. The uh, spread opened up at negative seven. It has moved already to the Ravens being a ten point favorite.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I look at my model. I've got the, I got it at nine and a half is what I think the spread should be. So ten makes a lot of sense to me.
0: So gun to your head, who you picking and why?
1: Uh man, I, right now I think. Gun to my head, I'm picking Baltimore to cover. Um, I think they're playing really well right now, and I think you're starting to kind of see some some cracks in Cleveland right now. And you know, that now, you wait, a- wait,
0: wait, hold, let me let me wait. Hold on. Wait a second. Wait a second. You're going too fast. I got I got to write this down. We got to slow this down for the listeners. You're saying right now you're starting to see cracks in the Cleveland armor. <laughs> not not t- right it, now. It, but it, it, I think t- I think they're it, growing. Okay, if it took you this long to see the cracks in the Cleveland armor, then you shouldn't be on the show. Like, right, no. Yeah, I know.
1: I get it. I get it. No, they're, to me, they're, starting, they're really starting to grow. And I'm concerned about the locker room. I'm, I'm concerned about all the chatter about come get me, what that means. It may mean what it sounds like. It may not. I'm concerned what? about Jarvis and Kitchens in the fourth quarter getting into a big argument on, on the sideline. You know, I, I'm concerned about a lot of things
0: man to come get me noise i i'm I'm starting to that feels like trash talk to me that feels like a dude saying come get me come get me you know what i mean like at first i believed it at first i believed it it was you know a couple teams that you know maybe have brighter spots than cleveland but they're talking they're saying oh yeah they said it against pittsburgh or they said it against arizona i'm thinking oh well now i don't believe you because why would you want to go to those two you know what i mean like they're just as big dumpster fire i mean the cardinals are bigger dumpster fire than the browns right now you know what i mean like they beat them but it ain't like they're going to the playoffs or anything so i think that there is some blur around that i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna take the browns i haven't put money on it yet Uh, i think that the spread is only going to get bigger because everybody thinks that the browns suck and the ravens are great i think that the Ravens are overpriced the browns beat them the first time around i think everybody's forgetting that and it was in Baltimore. Am I wrong about that? Correct me if I'm wrong. It was in Baltimore, correct? You're right. Boy, they're it's they're it's in true. Cleveland this weekend. That's true.
1: But and they've like, the like, first two and a half years. months ago. A lot's happened. In, uh, I,
0: I, I know a lot's happened, but it, it's possible, right? Yeah. No, it, right. the yeah. Brown, right. The Browns have improved ever so slightly compared – well, I guess I shouldn't say that. That makes me sound like a fool as well. Listen, the Browns are still – they still have a lot of talent right i know their defense the defense back then is different than the defense now because you lose a guy like garrett uh you know vernon let's be realistic vernon's probably not gonna play yet again um it it is gonna be hard to limit what lamar jackson can do with that said we did beat him and we did find a way and i think our offensive line despite the viral clip that went to it's all over Twitter of Greg Robinson just falling right in front of Nick Chubb and Nick Chubb doing his own thing. I do think the offensive line has improved ever so slightly. I think that Wyatt Teller looks like to get answer at the other guard position. Um, I think that, you know, the Ravens have a very good competent defensive line. Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce, Chris Wormley. We talked about these guys the first time they played. Well, the offensive line kept them in check and the offensive line has gotten nothing but better since then. So I feel like that's also, that is also probably a good sign. Uh, they really struggled to put Chandler Jones in check. Chandler Jones was kind of up in Baker's face, so I think that this this might be a different situation. Uh, the Ravens' defensive backs are also very good. Marlon Humphrey, uh, Chuck Clark, Earl Thomas, Brandon Carl. These guys have been playing at a relatively high level. Um, if anything, that uh, defensive backfield has probably gotten better, wouldn't you say, since the last yeah. time they played?
1: Yeah, they had some injuries on the on in the back end. Before.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that that's fair. Uh, but again, we do have OBJ. We do have Jarvis Landry. At some point, you know, I keep hoping that maybe I'm just the idiot fan that's uh, you know optimistic. But I do think we did beat them once. I, I think that Freddie they keep that game plan. It can work out again in their favor. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't. I mean, ten points is a lot of points in the NFL. It's a lot of points in the NFL.
1: No, the way to, the way to beat Baltimore is to slow the game down, roll. The control of the clock. Baltimore is actually um, the number one in time of possession stats or pace stats. Uh, they, you know, on average, are, are keep have, they have the ball in offense for like almost 34 and a half minutes per game. Uh, so Cleveland's going to really have to do a good job of sustaining drives, really kind of, you know, bleeding out this clock to limit the, the offensive possessions that Lamar Jackson has to score. And they're going to take care of the football. So I think, you know, you mentioned it. Uh, what what did, what you did last time? You beat him once before. In that game, Chubb rushed for 165 yards and three touchdowns with 20 carries. So you're going to have to see more of that. I yeah. think he's capable of doing so. Um, if there's a weakness of this ball, on this Baltimore team, it's the rush defense. I think they're like in the mid 20s right now on Football Outsiders rush defense DBOA. So that's that's definitely how you take advantage. That's definitely how you attack this Baltimore team it is on the ground. So we talked about it. I think Baltimore or Cleveland's got to go heavy personnel. Really, kind of grind this game, slow it down, control the ball, control it on the offensive side, and and limit the opportunities that this this Baltimore offense has. Right now, the ball this Baltimore offense is is firing on all cylinders—the number one pass DVOA offense, the number one rush DVOA offense—and they're just dialing it up from everywhere. Right, so you got to look that. Yeah, it's
0: it's gonna it, it's it's definitely gonna be an offensive showcase. Uh, the Browns are gonna have to, like you said, slow them down. The Browns got to score. <laughs> they're going to have to score more points. They're going to have to they can't there can't be any wasted drives. I mean, it sounds stupid elementary, but I mean, you know, they are going to have to be able to Chubb's going to have to do better than he did the first time. They're going to have to be able to use utilize hunt effectively. Uh you know, OPJ and Jarvis Langer are going to have to do something. They're, they're going to have to do something, and Baker's got to be able to be composed. He's not going to be able to have a wasted drive where he throws it high three times in a row. He's not going to be able to throw picks if they're going to stay in this game. Now, I do think that Wilkes is a good defensive corner. I know that they sucked last week. You know, again, this is more optimism than statistics, but I, I feel like they do have a good game plan to limit Lamar Jackson. You know, you're not going to stop him, but you could try to slow him down. And I, I think that he. He is smart enough to do that. I think that the, we do have really athletic linebackers that do move the ball well. Uh move to the ball well. Joe Schober, Mac Wilson, those guys are, seem to be flowing pretty well. The biggest issue, issue, like we talked about earlier, was the defensive line. But I guess I guess we'll see. Yeah, and
1: OBJ had a real tough time with Marlon Humphreys in week four. And you probably remember the fight that they had on the field. Yes. Uh and, and Marlon and Humphreys really shut down back up. But in that game, well, Humphrey was better. also.
0: Humphrey was also kind of, again, I'm, I'm not trying to sound biased, but Humphrey was also robbing him pretty con- – he was mugging him pretty hard. I mean, there were a couple – I remember vividly a couple plays where I was like, why is there no flag? Why is there no flag? Why is there no flag? And I – you know, if a couple of those things turn into – pass, a couple of those iffy plays turn into pass interferences, the, that can change the game. So,
1: Yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing. Uh, but, you know, the point the point was – in in Beckham's absence, if you will, uh, Landry had you know one hundred and sixty seven yards through the air. So they're going to need one of those two to step up to yep. really be someone Baker can get the ball to to move move the chains on a consistent basis.
0: Yep, 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 yep. Well, I you know I, I try to keep it short and sweet with the game uh, preview, especially since it's a game that we've already kind of. Have seen we. I don't think anybody's got high hopes. Uh, you know, I don't think any one of us is predicting the Browns to win. I'm just predicting to beat the spread. The spread, like I said, is a whopping ten points. It wouldn't surprise me if it got up to 12, 13 points before Sunday. Uh, remember, too, with the home field advantage, that is saying that the Ravens are thir- that Vegas views the Ravens as thirteen points better than the Cleveland Browns. So I do think that that is also saying something. Uh, do you believe? That the Ravens are that much better. You do, and I don't. Right? That's the big argument.
1: Yeah, I've I've got them at eleven and a half points better, roughly. Um, so if, if the line does continue to move in Baltimore's favor, I think there's a real good opportunity to bet Cleveland once
0: that once that game gets up to
1: you know if the line gets up to twelve or thirteen. Sure Wait, I, I thought Cleveland's you
0: had better. I thought you had the Ravens as nine and a half points better.
1: So yeah, once you so once you account for home field. oh okay okay we need to clarify
0: adam i'm not a mind reader all right damn it (laughs) all right moving on let's move on to our best bets we usually do pretty well with these i went one and two last week uh you know so i have not had the best streak but you're killing it dude you are killing it man
1: i am so on fire last three weeks i'm at 74 percent
0: that's so wild to me. That's so crazy to me. I'm I'm sure everybody thinks you're lying, but I can vouch for you. I have not done the same. I'll go ahead. I'll start out with my best bet. My best bet is Houston giving three points to Tampa Bay Saturday at one o'clock. Houston's nine and five, seven and seven against the spread. Tampa Bay seven to five, five, eight and one against the spread. Tampa Bay is on a little bit of a hot streak. They won four games in a row. I think you're paying a little bit of a premium for Tampa Bay. So I'm gonna go with Houston. Houston was getting three points last week. I put that money on Houston, was cashed out. I don't understand why Houston is so underrated. Now Tampa Bay has cluster injuries in the receiving core. We talked two weeks ago about how important cluster injuries are when handicapping. You know, Tampa Bay's got two wide receivers that made the Pro Bowl. They just got announced at the Pro Bowl. Both those guys are out. Okay, so your best wide receiver is gonna be Justin Watson, who was a wide receiver at Princeton last year. Another white guy very not comparable to Adam Humphreys at all, but everybody's going to say that because it's another white guy. And then you're gonna be probably playing OJ Howard again, who they benched in favor of camera break earlier in the year. So I'm going with Houston given three.
1: Yeah, I, I'm gonna stay away from this game. Actually, my my model motto without accounting for Godwin and Evans being out, would really like Tampa Bay quite a bit here. But as you mentioned, cluster injuries, especially at a position like wide receiver, are such a big deal because that, Tampa Bay's offense is really built around Jameis Winston and and him being able to push the ball downfield. So, you know, with God, you know, Evans went out in the first quarter on Sunday. Godwin went out later in the game. They were still able to put up 37 points or 38 points against the Lions. So I still think they they they're going to be able to score some points here, uh, but you know I'm probably passing on this game. But if if Evans and Godwin were in, I would be all over Tampa Bay in this spot.
0: Well, they're not playing, Adam. So yeah. so adjust your numbers. Yeah, adjust your bad. numbers, fool. All right, what you yeah. got? What's your best bet? All right, best
1: bet Cincinnati plus one at Miami. Uh, and to me, I don't really have a strong handicap on this other than with Andy Dalton back in the lineup the last four games. I've been able to adjust the data set that I'm looking at, and I, I just think they're a better better football team at this point. Joe Mixon uh, really running the ball extremely well, had uh, over 150 yards against the Patriots rush defense last week. I don't think he's going to have any problem getting to that number again this week against Miami, and I think it's just an opportunity for for a really good offensive showing for Cincinnati this week.
0: I absolutely love that bet. Usually we disagree, which is funny, because that's probably why I'm the loser. <laughs> but no, I love this bet. I put money on Cincinnati getting one point as well. Uh, for some reason, I think there's this weird... People love Ryan Fitzpatrick. People gravitate towards Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, I do think I, when I talk about the Buccaneers getting a premium, I feel like that's probably factual. I don't think Ryan, you're paying a premium for Ryan Fitzpatrick. But I do think Ryan Fitzpatrick is viewed as a better quarterback than Andy Dalton, and I don't know why that is. And I also think that people, when people stare at these Cincinnati numbers, they're looking at all kind of like with the, we talked about Sam Darnold, Luke Falk. They're looking at all the numbers back when Ryan Finley played too. Andy Dalton is not only way better than Ryan Finley, but he's way better than he was at the beginning of the year. Okay, yeah. he's been a, he's been a very good distributor. Tyler Eifert is also another player that's looked really good. Like you said, Joe Mixon, that's no surprise. I, I love it. I love Cincinnati getting one. Yeah.
1: No, I like I like your point on Dalton. Uh, Dalton, to me, I, you know, having watched every game Dalton's ever played in a Cincinnati Bengal uniform, what I think he does, and almost he does it really well, but almost to a fault sometimes, is he 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 reads the defense before pre-snap, and he almost determines right away where he's going with the football. Well, he threw four picks against the Patriots last week because the Patriots are the Patriots, and they have the best you know cornerbacks in the league. Gilmore was able to run through two of them. Uh, one other was like on the tip pass or something like that. But again, if you just take away the four picks, he's played really well these last yes. four games. And I adjusted the data set that I'm looking at to just those four games. So I, I feel really comfortable with uh, my baseline numbers for Cincinnati at this point, having excluded the Ryan Finley games and the uh, Andy Dalton games from the beginning of the year.
0: Yes, yes, I, I love that as well. Uh, moving on, my second bet is the Los Angeles Rams getting six points at San Francisco. This is another Saturday night eight o'clock game. The Rams are eight and six, nine and five against the spread. San Francisco is 3 three, eight and five and one against the spread. Um, San Francisco is another team you're pay, paying a premium on. Uh, the Rams got wiped last week, so I'm, I'm thinking that you're gonna, you know, you, this is a buy low situation. I know that San Francisco is coming off of a loss. So that doesn't scare me a little bit because I think that the reason that they did lose was a little bit of a sandwich spot. So maybe they were looking to head to the Rams, but I'm going to go ahead and assume they're not. Uh, Shanahan has struggled against the spread against divisional opponents. He is 7 one against the NFC West since last year. So that it was a bit shocking to me. That's another reason why I'm going to cash in. They've also been 0-5-1 against the spread, when favored by six or more. When the Niners are big favorites, they never seem to cash. I don't think they like that role. I don't think they play well in that role. I don't think they have enough talent to be in that role, like the Patriots, for instance, who are used to it and thrive on it.
1: I actually agree with you here. I actually like the Rams as well. So they, they would be on my list this week. Uh, right now, I have my model has them that this number should be 5, minus 5 for the 49ers. So you got a point and a half of line value when you go with the Rams here. And I like all the points that you made, especially my favorite one is watching. I love betting good teams after they've gotten blown out. Especially in a spot like the Rams were last week on the road in Dallas. That was, a, that was not a primetime game, but it was on every single television set in America yes. pretty much. Yes. Yep.
0: Uh,
1: and, and so they just got thoroughly embarrassed 44 to 21. I think this is a really good spot for them to bounce back.
0: I would agree. What's your next game?
1: Uh, my next bet here is uh, Carolina plus seven at Indianapolis. Indianapolis has played really bad these last two weeks. Uh, actually getting blown out by the by the Buccaneers, and actually getting blown out by the Saints. Uh, Carolina's going with a new quarterback here. Uh, they, you know, I think this is an opportunity. This is really one of those spots to me where the quarterback change is almost kind of re, you know, revives a, a locker room, it's almost like a new, like a new hope type of thing. You know, Kyle Allen is not the answer there, so let's go ahead and put in Will Greer. I think this is a, this is a situation where you're going to see a lot of guys rallying around Greer. And, and it's also a bet against the Colts right now. I don't know what's going on in Indianapolis, but something's wrong, and they're just they're giving up a lot of points. So I, I like Carolina here getting, getting seven.
0: You know what? I love that bet as well. I haven't put money on that bet. I do think that 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 line is going to adjust as the week goes by. Uh, I think that you're going to see, I I would assume that the the line is going to favor the Panthers with the new announcement of the rookie quarterback. I think that that, like you said, is kind of a a misconception that, oh, hey, there's a new quarterback. He's not as good. Well, first of all, the good quarterback Cam Newton's been out for a while. okay? Okay. Second of all, the Panthers have already proven that they're that they do rally around those new quarterbacks because they rallied around Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen ripped off, he was 4-0 against the spread when he was going. And Will Greer is a better quarterback than Kyle Allen. Okay. Now, people are going to argue against that, but I believe that Will Greer does have the talent to be the future. I mean, if you remember at this point last year, people viewed him as a first-round draft pick. Okay. Now, the problem with him is that he does stare down receivers. If you thought Dalton was bad, Will Greer is really bad. I mean, he stared down David Sills constantly in college. So I don't if he's is he going to stare down uh, DJ Moore or Curtis Samuel, I'm not quite sure. Maybe he won't at all. I don't know. Maybe he's grown as a quarterback. That'll be interesting to see. But I do think that the Panthers will, will rally against them. Uh The Colts did get taken back to the shed uh, <clears throat> by the Saints last you know, or last night. So I, I do think that's an issue. I, it is the Saints, so I'm not trying to hold that against them too much. But there's definitely an issue that's deeper than Jacoby Brissett holding on to the ball a little too long.
1: It's something on defense, and I haven't watched enough of their games to know what the issue is. But just for the last three weeks, they've given up 31 points to the Titans, 38 points to the Buccaneers, and then 34 points on Monday night to the Saints.
0: Well, they run a lot of zone. The Colts do run a lot of zone, so I, you know, maybe they got they got to rotate more into man coverage. I'm not, I, I, I'm not quite sure either. I, I feel like, but I do feel like that is that is a good bet to take the Panthers. All right, moving on to the bowl games. This is going to be something we really focus on. Uh, we're going to go, we're gonna try to blast through these. I know we're at the 45-minute mark, so we're going to go through every bowl game up until next Tuesday. Uh, some people have reached out to me already about, you know, who you're watching for the bowls. So we're going to go over. Adam is going to give a brief handicap, and I'm going to provide a player that I think that the Browns should be paying attention to as well as my lean. So the first bowl is the Bahamas Bowl Friday. Uh, you got Charlotte getting seven points. Uh, against buffalo a player that i'm really watching for is cameron clark the big off to tackle for charlotte six with five 300 pounds uh he's a two-time captain he has the school record for most games played and i believe it's at 48 that's a guy that i think if he measures out that well uh, if he tests that well i think he's the guy that can play at the next level i that's also yeah, I got- my lean is charlotte by the way
1: okay yeah i so and josh i know we've talked about that but for both of you to know uh you know i've built these models around the nfl and college football and what i've done is i i take all of the year-to-date stats and then i adjust each and every single one of them based on the teams that they played and so i think that really gives me an edge as far as what data i'm looking at and, and the baselines that i'm looking at uh your lean to charlotte is how i would lean as well uh i've got this line i think it should be charlotte plus four you've got it at charlotte plus seven so i think there's three points of line value there uh, so i think charlotte's the right side i guess it's red here yeah and uh, it, one it, other it, thing it, i it, i love my model loves the over here
0: you know and that, that probably also is a wise choice i, I know that uh Charlotte has a pretty dynamic offense. Benny LeMay, they pound the ball pretty well. Buffalo also has a, a pretty good – But that, well, That's the problem, though, too, is that they're, they're both running offenses. You have Benny LeMay on the Charlotte side, and then uh, the Buffalo's got two running backs that both eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark. I know Jarrett Patterson broke the school record in rushing yards. So that would be interesting. I probably won't touch – uh, the total, but that will be something to pay attention to. For everybody, to, for everybody so that everybody can know, uh, Adam's been doing the NFL algorithm for quite some time. He's very successful with it. There's really no flaws with it. He adjusts as time goes on. It's a very reliable source. As far as college college goes, you, you mentioned you've kind of been dipping your toe in, but do you want to kind of explain how accurate your yeah. algorithm was with the Ohio State games? I was blown away yeah. when you told me this.
1: Yeah, this is my first crack at at really full-blown college. So there's, and college is a different game. There's a lot more adjustments you got to make. So take all these numbers with a grain of salt. And obviously, uh, when you're looking at you know back testing, you look you I'm accounting for the data that was used in these games. So you've got to take that into consideration as well. But uh, you know the back testing has been has been really encouraging. Uh, just looking at Ohio State's last three games, uh, two of them my model predicts the score on the number. Uh, so the Ohio State Michigan game, the model would have projected it to be like a thirty eight 20 game. Obviously, Ohio high state ran away with that. Uh, but then when you go back uh, one game before that at High State Penn State, my model had that had that game exactly twenty eight seventeen. and then you go to the, the Big Ten championship, my model had it exactly twenty-one. So yeah, so it's uh, it's encouraging that the back testing is, is is doing has done that well. It'll be interesting to see how uh, how this these bowl games play out.
0: No, and I want to. I want to also mention that before the show, Adam said it with a lot more confidence, he he, he, didn't, he didn't he didn't say nearly as many take into consideration with a grain of salt. So I will, we'll, we'll still see what happens. So I got a lot of faith in you. I may not follow you in every game, but it definitely, I definitely like when you're on my side. Moving on, another Friday night bowl, Frisco Bowl, Utah State giving eight points to Kent State. Now this line might have changed. I don't know if everybody saw, but Utah State is going to have three players suspended. Well, I don't know if they've been announced suspended, but they've been charged with, uh, you know, uh, holding marijuana or busted with marijuana or whatever you want to say. Uh, one of those players is Utah State star quarterback Jordan Love. Uh, I told you guys I was going to try to focus on guys maybe the Browns should watch. So the guy that I really want to watch for Utah State, that's obviously where I lean if you haven't figured it out, is David Woodward. David Woodward is the starting inside linebacker. Uh, six foot two, 230. He's only a junior. When I was reviewing his tape, I wrote a brief article about him that hasn't been published yet. I didn't know he was going to declare. I mentioned that he probably shouldn't declare. Okay, that dude has declared. He's going to be eligible for the draft. He's been mocked in the middle rounds. Uh, He led the team. He led Utah State in tackles two years in a row. This year he led them in tackles, and I think he missed like five games due to injury. So that shows you how effective and how he cruises to the ball. So obviously, I'm moving with uh, Utah State here.
1: Okay, so what? Who? Where were the suspensions, or where do you think they're coming from? Which team again?
0: Utah State Jordan Love, the suspensions haven't been announced, but I know that Jordan Love has been busted with marijuana. Okay, the okay. other two players are uh, more insignificant, but obviously Jordan Love is is viewed as yeah. anywhere from a first to a third round quarterback. Uh, you know, we talked about college spreads and how the quarterback is valued even more than the NFL quarterbacks. So a very average. Qu- quarterback in college football could be worth six points. Uh, Jordan Love probably is worth about nine points to this Utah State team. Uh, so I don't know how that line is going to adjust. I don't really know how big it's going to get. I would still take Utah State. Kent State has a lot of injuries on that defensive side. Uh, Matt Barr is out. Um, he just got announced he's having a knee injury. He was the best linebacker, best defender by far. They also have their starting cornerback who is also their kick returner and punt returner. He's also going to be suspended for like the first half of the game due to targeting in the last game. So I'm still probably going to take Utah State, even if the spread moves up to about 14 points.
1: So it it's actually um, Utah State's gone. It, it, it was, you said it was seven? Utah State it, was eight. seven.
0: it was eight, eight. when I, last time I looked. It's Down to
1: four and a half now. So I think that kind of tells you what uh, Vegas thinks of, of the news that you shared. My model liked it, like Utah State minus five before the news. So I think you know if, if Jordan Love doesn't play, uh, you mentioned what he might be worth for that line. Vegas is on, was probably thinking three and a half, four points. Uh, Which I'm shocked, shocked by.
0: Here. I'm I'm shocked I'm shocked by that that they view him as that low because like I said, yeah. Jordan. It's not very often Utah State has a first second round quarterback on their team, but Gary Anderson hasn't been really phenomenal in using his skill set. So maybe that's why. Uh, either way, I, that's who I'm rolling with.
1: But maybe it's a little bit uncertainty for Vegas right now. Maybe they're just kind of trying to hedge a little bit before you know if it's not been announced yet. Maybe they're just kind of trying to move that line down to get some money on the other side before. Before it is announced, so maybe they expect it to be him to be suspended for him to not play. That would that would make sense with the line moves that we see. But regardless, you know, um, I I thought Kent State is probably the side you wanted. Kent State is definitely the side if Jordan Love doesn't play. Uh, but yeah, you know, if he if Jordan Love plays, I like Utah State here as well
0: interesting we might have a bet my friend let's keep an eye on that but we might have a bet like i said kent state's losing their top two defenders so that'll be interesting to pay attention to the next bowl on the slate new mexico bowl central michigan is getting six and a half from san diego state i hate to keep beating on the mac but i'm going to do it again i'm going to take san diego state san diego state's known for their offense their hardcore running team juwan Washington's another talented running back but the prospect i'm most excited to see is Kayava to zeno i know i'm I think I'm actually pronouncing his name right. I spoke to someone yesterday who said I was, so hopefully that is right. Outside linebacker, six foot two thirty. He is a senior. He is first team All Mountain West. That dude flows the ball. Now I heard rumors that once he goes to testing, it's not going to be good. I'm hearing four eight four nine range for his forty, but I mean it doesn't look like that on the film.
1: Yeah. So you you've watched the games. I haven't watched. Uh... Central Michigan or San Diego State play. Uh, so you're, you're going to have some great insights on that. When I just looked at the numbers, I've got this at San Diego State minus 5. And this line has actually gone down to San Diego State minus 3.5. So I think there's some line value. Uh, oh, if you get to look yeah. San Diego State.
0: Yeah, I, can't, I don't really have an explanation for that line value unless there's been an injury that – or that line move, unless there's been an injury that I'm not uh, aware of. Maybe Jawan Washington's hurt. I'm not quite sure someone's sitting out. I know last year they dealt with a couple off the linemen that got uh, – that would just decide not to show up. I guess maybe it's another situation yeah. like that, but that'll be another I, thing to monitor. Another thing to keep in mind with these college bowls is you want to pay attention to coaches departing, coaches coming in, uh, you know, players sitting out. That kind of stuff is happening all the time. Utah State has had two guys declare, so maybe that's another reason. It's hard to kind of gauge the value of guys wanting to play and what they're not going to do. Uh, yeah, for instance, Georgia.
1: I'm
0: sorry. I'll
1: say motivation is a huge handicap in these bowl games. It, it, it it's only it
0: really hard. It's not a time. It's extremely it's extremely hard to gauge. Uh, but moving on, the Cure Bowl. Uh, Liberty is getting five points from Georgia Southern. This is a game that uh, was kind of been deeply discussed with a lot of people. Kind of a polarizing game. One of the favorites. Uh, Liberty has. Oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of his the wide receiver. Uh, Antonio Golden. I can't remember his name. He's a very he's a very good wide receiver. Probably should have been up for the Bolitnikov if not from Planet playing at Liberty. Uh, they got a quarterback in Buckshot Calvert who's also uh, you know, very good. Uh, Hugh Freeze has done a pretty good job down there. But I'm going with Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern has a really good defensive line. they got two guys that are probably going to be able to go into the NFL. Uh, and I like their kicker, uh, Tyler Bass. He's 5'10", 180 senior. I don't know why I'm don't know why i saying his, his height and weight. But he got invited to the senior <laughs> bowl. He's, he, if, if this game comes down to something close, the special teams is definitely on Georgia, Southern Georgia Southern's side. Georgia Southern is a well-coached team. They're, they're a good team. I'm going to go with the Sun Belt here.
1: I strongly agree with you here. I, my model likes this that uh, Georgia, Georgia Southern. I think they should be favored by nine or so. So I, you know, I like the line value, and uh, you know, when you look at the the entirety of the bowl schedule, this would be a top 15 uh, bet for me.
0: That, that's interesting because a lot of people would disagree with that from what I'm hearing. You know, Hugh Freeze has got a lot of backers. Uh, moving on, we got the Boca, Boca Raton Bowl. SMU giving three and a half points to Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic has just – this is another game where I'm going against the green. I'm going to take Florida Atlantic getting the three and a half points. That spread is definitely going to move before game time. Keep an eye on that if you are in a Florida Atlantic because Lane Kiffin is gone. Lane Kiffin has moved on to Ole Miss. Typically when you see a coach leave – you, there are a couple issues there. You can have an issue like Florida State where they're super motivated to work for the assistant coach or you can have an issue where like uh, you know the coaches you know who the coach is going to be and there's no motivation left. Does that make sense? so it's, it's kind of yeah. hard to gauge what the motivation is going to be there. I'm hearing from what I understand is that this locker room is pretty wildly. There's some guys in there that got some pretty big attitudes. so when link if it's not there to keep them in check, Things get out of hand. So we'll see what happens. I still got faith in him. Uh, I really like Chris Robinson. Uh, you know, the Cleveland Browns got Baker Mayfield, so they're not going to be drafting a quarterback high. Chris Robinson's only a sophomore. This is a guy that's probably not going to get drafted at all, even if he does come out. He's not going to, I don't think he's, he's someone to keep on your radar. I don't know if he's even going to be someone that gets drafted. He's only 6'1, 177 pounds. He was a very highly touted recruit, top 10, elite 11 quarterback that went to Oklahoma, got in a little off field trouble. Now is at Florida Atlantic, first team all conference player uh i think he was he's been, played very effective even against uh, ohio state so the dude's got some swag and that's who i'm rolling with
1: yeah this is actually one of my my favorite best of the entire bowl schedule would be for atlantic here uh getting three and a half points and i you know just looking at the numbers like you said lane and leaving that that certainly is going to have an impact whether positive or negative that's what you got to figure out but just looking at the numbers, I would I would expect Fort Atlantic to, uh, to compete and potentially win this game.
0: And, and I can tell you that Vegas is not on our side on that one. Most people are taking SMU. And, uh, again, too, I know that pro- people are probably asking, why am I not mentioning Harrison Bryant, the All-American tight end, Mackey award finalist for Fort Atlantic. I don't think that he's probably going to be on the Browns' radar. Or, he, I don't think he's going to land to Cleveland. Chris Robinson's probably a more realistic target. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. The Browns, have, uh, they're kind of in an influx of tight end. They don't really know what they're doing. So maybe he is someone to watch out for. Either way, pay attention to that game. The next game, Camellia Bull, uh, Florida International, getting two and a half points from Arkansas State. Former Sun Belt rivals, Florida National, now in the Conference USA. I'm going with Butch Davis, former Cleveland Browns head coach, now the head coach of Florida International. Uh, he was kind of rumored to take, be up for some of these bigger jobs. It looks like they've all passed him by. Another year at Florida International—that's who I'm going with. Um, they got an offensive tackle, D. Anthony Demiri. Okay, offensive tackle, six foot five, three hundred twenty pounds. He's only a junior. I don't expect him to come back out uh, early. He's a JUCO transfer to FIU. One of the big gets for Butch Davis has done nothing to disappoint, and I think he's going to have a big year next year. Definitely someone to keep an eye on. Uh, he was all as he was all Conference USA this year.
1: Yeah, this line has moved actually down to two and a half off of three, and that's exactly where my model would put this line as Arkansas State favored by two and a half. So, uh, as far as against the spread betting, you know, no no bet here, no action. But you know, numbers like Arkansas State to win a close one.
0: All right, and then moving on to the Las Vegas Bowl. This is the bowl that everybody's talking about. Washington University giving three and a half points to Boise State, uh, Chris, the Chris Peterson Bowl, as you're talking about it. Chris Peterson actually <laughs> stepped down, so Jimmy Lake is going to is now the head coach in waiting, which I thought was a stupid, stupid, stupid hire, but whatever. A lot of people like him. Uh, he probably is. He, he that Washington defense has been fairly yeah. good and has had they've had some special years under him, so maybe it's not as stupid as I think. Against Brian Harson, I'm going to go with Washington. Washington just has more talent. They just do. They have some guys that are going to want to go to the pro. Now, here's the issue. Here's some issue. Here's the issue with the handicapping this game. They already have a couple guys that have announced that they're not going to be playing. One of those guys, Trey Adams, the big off the tackle, six foot eight, 306 pound senior. Uh, he was an All American a couple years ago. We all re- recognize that name, especially Browns fans, because he was rumored and mocked to them often last year. But then he went down with a back injury and missed a huge chunk of the year. Um, he'd come back. He was healthy. He looked great this year. So, Unfortunately, we're not going to get another peek at him. But Washington is having an influx of guys uh, announced that they're not going to be playing, and rumor has it Jacob Eason is going to be declaring soon too.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't have any any of that accounted for into the, into the numbers that I'm looking at. But regardless, uh, the numbers here really like Boise State. It, this looks like a pretty much a pick'em game in my model. So uh, boy, give me Boise State three and a half points
0: all day. Now, remember, Boise State's starting quarterback is not playing either. But now, with that said, he's been hurt often this season, so their backup has had, has had his fair amount of tread on his tires. Um, but just just to note, Boise State is going to be without their starting quarterback as well. Uh, moving on, the New Orleans Bowl, UAB is a 17-point dog to Appalachian State. I love Appalachian State. When I say I love Appalachian State, not in the betting sense, although I probably will be putting the money on Appy State. I just mean I love Appy State. They have so much talent on that roster from Zach Evans, a quarterback, to Darrington Evans, a running back. My favorite player on Appalachian State for the Cleveland Browns is Corey Sutton, wide receiver, 6'3", 205, only a junior. He tore his ACL. He's not going to be playing. This is a to watch for next year. Unfortunately, we're not going to get a peek at it, but there's still a lot of talent on this Appalachian State team to pay attention to. I know that they lost their t- their coach Drink- Drinkowitz. Uh, I think he's going to. Oh my gosh, I can't remember where he's going to. Uh, regardless, they've lost the head coach there, but Appalachian State seems to do pretty well when they hire from within. Uh, they got a good culture there. That's the who I'm all with.
1: Is is Corey Sutton any related relation to Cortland
0: Sutton? Ooh, that's a good Google. I don't. I have no idea. That'd be a good Google.
1: No, it doesn't matter. Uh yeah, no, I think um I, I think the numbers right here. You know, the spread's right. I got this as like probably a fifteen and a half to sixteen point spread in favor of Appalachian State. So I wouldn't bet this game because I I think that's uh, the numbers correct.
0: Okay. Uh, moving on, the Gasparilla Bull. On Monday, this is the last one we'll talk about, then we'll end the pod. We're going a little bit over an hour here. Marshall is a 17.5-point underdog to Central Florida. Central Florida has been a very polarizing team uh, since um, since Scott Frost has left. Heupel's done an okay job. He's won the games he's supposed to win, and he struggles in the games he's not supposed to win. We saw that with Pitt, uh, so this will be an interesting game. I'm still going with Central Florida because they have a ton – more talent than Marshall, especially Richie Grant, the safety, six foot one ninety four. He has not declared him, from what I hear. He's not going to declare, so we're going to get another peek at him this weekend and another peek at him next year. But he's a good safety to watch. Runs the field really well.
1: Yeah. So this is uh, my number one bet in all bowl games, and it would be Marshall getting oh the yeah. points. Look, the numbers here say this game is going to be like thirty-one to twenty-four. So I, I'm getting like 10 points in line value with Marshall. I, I I have no clue about either any of these either of these teams. So I, I can't give you uh, the reason why the, the data is saying this, but this is what the data is saying, and I'm going to trust it for now.
0: Uh, so well, yeah, I believe I love Marshall here. I believe Doc Holliday is still the coach at Marshall. I think that he does have a very favorable record against uh, against the spread in bowl games. So that is something to keep an eye on. Uh, Heupel, you know, like I said, he he's had some issues this year where I would have been like, what, if, he, if he's had some situations where if he didn't have the best team in the world, um, I don't know if he would have won. Does that make sense? So that yeah, is, yeah, that that's a completely fair handicap. Uh, I, but I do believe that central Florida has a superior talent. It'll also be interesting to see how they use Brandon Wimbush. I understand that Brandon Wimbush is probably going to be transferring again, or I'm not really sure what his deal is, but they've been utilizing him at running back and wide receiver. Um, so if you get a whole you know, a couple weeks to work with him. He's a very athletic yeah. dude. He used to play quarterback in Notre Dame, so maybe you can kind of utilize him as kind of a special weapon and bring him out for this game and really put the hammer down. Yeah. But that's yeah, all we say, have.
1: Yeah, I would say just one more one more thing on the Marshall game. If you're going to bet it, I would also uh, go or do a correlated parlay and bet the under here. Um, like I said, I my model is projecting this thirty-one twenty-four, so it's with like a fifty-five point total. You got sixty-one and a half point total with Vegas right now, so. I think uh, taking the points and the under is a nice correlated parlay if you like Marshall.
0: And if you're going to take Central Florida, go ahead and take the over. That would be your rec- recommendation. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's correct. Well, it only makes sense, right? It's kind of like with the Michigan game. If you're going to take when Michigan played Ohio State, if you're going to take Michigan, you might as well take the under. And if you're going to take Ohio yeah. State, you might as well. And that's what everybody said, uh, which ended up being right. Um, but all right, I think that's it. That's a good pod. We're going to be going over the Bulls all off season with the with these bulls and we're gonna be hitting hard with the draft scouts. We've been putting a lot of i t- I've been putting a lot of time in on these draft prospects and Adam's been putting a lot of time in on these spreads and he's gonna make you some real cash this season before before it ends. So keep your eyes on us, keep your ears on us. You can follow me at Josh Keatley sixteen. You can check out my work at Brownswire com. Adam, where can they hit you up at Twitter? Uh
1: find me on Twitter at more two one zero two. that's it. All right, we're out. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local Geico agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello?